0: you might want to grab your garlic for this episode Our two films are F.W. Murnau's 1922 Nosferatu and Werner Herzog's 1979 remake Nosferatu the Vampire. Set in the 19th century, a real estate banker travels to the eerie mountainside of Transylvania to visit a new client who just so happens to be a vampire. Both films are based on Bram Stoker's novel Dracula. F.W. Murnau's version originally received minimal acclaim, yet is now considered a masterpiece of expressionist film. In his homage to Murnau, Werner Herzog uses the original template, but layers in his own sub-narrative by expanding upon themes of nature and mortality, even adding his own twist ending. Today's guest is Oskar Bescher, a former student at Bard College, Berlin, who specializes in early German film. Now here's your host Sam.
1: What were your first impressions re-seeing these back to back?
2: When I first saw uh, Nosferatu, I was really blown away just because I was a—it uh, was my first foray into seeing a Murnau film. Oh yeah. So I was really amazed by that, and I think even—I uh, think it was after I saw Sunrise. So I was kind of really blown away by the fact that he was able to make such an amazing horror film in 1922. Um, And that even made it more difficult for me to watch the Herzog version, even though I'm a big Herzog fan, Mm -hmm. just because of the fact that it was the same plot. But uh, upon reviewing both films, I actually... uh, Both films grew, in my opinion, in my own... uh, viewing, but at the same time, uh, the second one, the Werner Herzog version, really, really got much, much better with time. Mm -hmm. It had so many more fleshed out details. uh, Murnau made an incredible film, obviously, and it was super revolutionary, but uh, Herzog's version really, really made an amazing film in itself.
1: It's funny, utilizing the same plot and characters, Herzog is able to craft his own story, a new one. But one that, if you've seen the original, you know is so faithful to it,
2: mm.
1: and I just find that amazing. Right, that they can do that. But but um, let's let's go on and talk about the original Nosferatu because having your background in early film, what kind of innovations did Murnau bring to this film and to film history in general with this film?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, one of the one of the most important things is just the use of. Shadow and these, the creation of these sets, um, that's one of the most important ones. But also, even some of the locations are really beautifully utilized in ways that have been done before, but completely new ways of setting up scenes. Like you can, you automatically can tell when you're looking at uh, Wisborg, which is actually filmed in Wisborg and uh Now's version, you can tell that the city has its own. Uh, um, character, mm-hmm. and when you're in Transylvania, you can tell that the mountains—it has its own character of itself right, as well. Right, exactly. There's a there's a very um, uh, palpable difference between the two places. One is a one is a land of loneliness, and another is a place of comfort for the main character, yeah, which he like wishes like a, to come
1: back to. A cozy small town yeah, kind of feel to it. Yeah.
2: Right, and also and also just the again the use of shadows is so incredibly key to the entire thing. I think it's uh, one of the beautiful uses of vampires because they're a creature of the shadow. Exactly. You know, and the fact that he's able to integrate uh, completely novel ways of using lighting mm-hmm. into creating a horrifying atmosphere and a terrifying creature is just something completely new in itself. Every single every single horror film afterwards has some kind of uh, debt to owe it to this film
1: what about like pacing of the plot because this um, this plot jumps around from Transylvania to the sea back to wisborg what about that because it seemed it seemed rather novel to me at least but what about in your view
2: one of one of the most important things I think about that scene is that um, when it, when basically you're seeing the boat go towards uh, back to wisborg and then you see, Also, at the same time, Hutter running back to Wisborg on his his boat, his noble steed, um, as fast as he possibly can. One of the most interesting uh, allusions that I think this brings up is uh, to the film Intolerance, where basically um, there are multiple different narratives going towards the same place. And basically only one of them can succeed. Right. So... um, I think that was a really important reference if you, and I think that was actually a really novel aspect of this film as well. You don't have to have different narratives. You can have different characters following different actions and narratives. So basically this, they both are going towards the same place, but you know that one will beat the other to the destination. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a very important aspect. I mean, it also, it's also incredibly interesting because it, uh, it foreshadows many different, uh, movements afterwards like even soviet soviet editing even takes a little bit from this as well right um but yeah definitely super super influential use of uh showing two different places and two different actions so you
1: yeah. know had some trouble actually using the names of the characters from the book they couldn't use dracula so they renamed the count orlok did Murnau having the liberty of rewriting did he insert any clues or nice touches that you noticed
2: Well yeah that that is an, that's an interesting story in itself just because of the fact that he actually had to tiptoe around the copyright uh, unsuccessfully in the end like he ended up having to destroy most of the copies of the the film but um yeah there there there's a one of the most interesting ones which is seems kind of like a small detail is the is the fact that um, not in terms of the characters, but even the boat that takes uh, uh, the vampire back to wherever he is meant to go. In the original Bram Stoker, he takes back the Demeter, uh, mm-hmm. which is um, the go- goddess of harvest. If I'm, if my, if my, uh, I think if my I, Greek mythology, I, is I think correct. you're right, and. Then in the, uh, the 1922 More version, he takes the um, Empusa, which is a man-eating uh, Greek Greek figure who sucks the blood and this kind of stuff. Oh. Uh, again, um, Greek, Greek uh, mythology is not my expertise, but this is just a nice little change from the original that yeah. kind of you can't notice if you're watching it straightforward. You're just like, oh, that's the name of the boat. It's right, not super right. important.
1: Yeah, I sure did not... Notice that at all actually.
2: I mean, there's so many different like, uh, changes. I mean, one of the things that he does is he makes, he changes the name from Harker to Hutter, which sounds a little bit more like a German, German surname. Right. So, uh, I mean, just little things like that. But I mean, these just end up being about the, making the film about, uh, more national, uh, German national, uh, speaking, Uh, topic Mm -hmm. you know it just makes them more centered upon uh the narrative has to connote something about the film which is where it's where it's from so he kind of changes all that kind of little stuff to make it more about germany and then that ends up Uh creating a new narrative in itself through the use of the the dracula story right when you see this film you actually begin to see uh, unfor- not unfortunately but fortunately you see that the, f- the original film is masterful yes. but there are, there are places where it could possibly use a different idea mm-hmm. or a different approach right. and that's one of the things that Herzog really brings to it
1: especially a lot of when we, when we have to jump location I think Murnau's version kind of lags in my opinion mm-hmm. whereas Herzog's right. keeps it very exciting Right. what do you think?
2: Yeah, no, totally. Also, the use of intertitles kind of cuts up the film. That's right. But yeah. that's even like a, that's even um, a side effect of the times. You couldn't do anything about that.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: But even one of the things that makes it more more uh, transition uh, much more naturally between scenes is the use of the amazing score. Um, yes. I mean, the score in the original that um, comes with uh, Nosferatu is wonderful.
1: Yes, yeah, like a very. If, if it's in it fits in the pocket, everything you know, perfect, it's like. not too. It's not too out there.
2: But then, with the soundtrack by Popol Vu, you have this uh, very, uh, very um, unsettling, but very beautiful soundtrack, which really ties everything together. Even making those scenes where it's two different locations, yeah, almost blend in perfectly. Exactly,
1: together. exactly. It gives it that that element of connection that we're missing in a film without sound, which mm-hmm. is. Mer, which is Murnau's, but even the but we just have to appreciate right. that he could even do that at the time with his storytelling.
2: Totally. I mean, I mean the one of the. I think this is definitely what you're bringing up is something that Murnau definitely noticed when he was making this film because after he probably saw it, he noticed that there's some. Uh, I, I don't want to say uh, unmelodic, but right. there's some. Uh, it didn't. It, it was. It's called a symphony of terror. But there's some off off
1: moments, yeah, especially yeah. in the editing. A little wrong note here and there, right?
2: Exactly, and then that's why I think it's a, a really fantastic. When later on in 1927, when he released uh, Sunrise, uh, he kind of, a song of two humans. Uh-huh. He re re uh, reuses this idea of making a film a song, and he makes right. a complete song which really is edited so much. Much more, uh, much more naturally, but that fits the story, right, you know. Even right. in Nosferatu, the the facts that uh, the fact that basically the film kind of sometimes doesn't work together perfectly in the editing room, mm-hmm. it kind of works for the idea of a horror, unsettling type of atmosphere.
1: Yeah, I think it just comes with experimentation when you have such a new medium like film at that time too.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially Murnau because he he really. He did his research and he knew exactly how to make certain cinematic techniques work for each film. Mm -hmm. Like when you see films like the The last man, you could, you could, or the last laugh, depending on which version of the title you want to Mm -hmm. use. He used these sweeping camera works, you know, these, the use of the moving camera fits perfectly well with the demise of this, uh, uh, this, this main character that he uses. Um, so um, or even or even in Sunrise, the use of after effects to create um, the the imaginations on screen. He doesn't have to right. he actually shows the thoughts of people, the desires of people, the uh, um, even even using words on the screen. Mm-hmm. He knew exactly how to use different cinematic techniques to uh, complement the narrative. And I think that's what he definitely used in these. This animation, this animation uh, aspect of the film.
1: It's it's just hard not to be not impressed with Herzog's version to have the audacity to remake a classic, but to do so almost in a way that honestly surpasses the classic, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a bold one, but
2: yeah, I mean, the what I what I really like about the film is that I think the original was really commenting on the state of. uh, Germany itself, in a post-war era, um, the the First World War had just ended, and there was uh, everyone. Everyone had not everyone had died, but pretty much uh, most of the young males had been affected, and the uh, the rest of their families as well were adversely affected as well by either um, natural land devastation or the fact that everyone was uh, every economy in the in the in Europe was completely demolished, save something. Well, especially
1: for Germany, because they had to pay reparations.
2: Right. And then basically you have this film, which is about the effects of outsiders on Germany, but you have a strange outsider from the East, which is uh, foreboding. But at the same time, you can tell that there's some kind of weird uh, underlying theme of the entire thing. Whereas in Herzog's version, you kind of have um, him uh, doing a love note to the film itself and the medium itself. I think that's what uh, I thought was really interesting. He doesn't seem to be commenting that much on the world of the late 70s.
1: Right, exactly. He's
2: commenting on the nature of film itself and the nature of this film on his own development as a filmmaker. Mm. So
1: definitely, because you can see even before Herz- Herzog made Nosferatu, a lot of stylistic similarities between Murnau and Herzog. Mm-hmm. So it's his own, yeah, exactly like you, like you said a, a love letter, an homage, mm-hmm. a tribute.
2: Right, definitely. Yeah, a tribute, definitely, in, in, the, in the broadest form of the word. But at the same yeah. time, like it, he, where he expands. He lovingly expands. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. He doesn't deride the original film. He doesn't criticize, even though what we're doing right now is like almost uh, by by talking about one. And I mean, I loved the Herzog version. Yeah, but it almost I almost feel it almost feels sacrilegious or something to to speak about the the shortcomings of the original. You know? Well,
1: it's just like you know. I think it's a you know film being such a new medium and the technology available mm-hmm. to. Herzog makes total sense that the person doing it in 1922 is not going to be as mm-hmm. as uh, well-rounded as the person in 1979.
2: Right. No, totally.
1: But I think the innovations of the original Nosferatu were more impressive if you just compare it to what Murnau's brought to the film mm-hmm. technique and what Herzog's did. Right. Or like lack thereof, but...
2: Oh, totally. And there's so many, there's so many callbacks to the original, original film there. I mean, he, he does every shot differently. Like no shot is, uh, scene for scene or shot the exact same way, but there's so many, uh, parallels that automatically when you see them side by side, you can easily tell the, the differences between the two directors' voices. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the main ones that I saw, which was a callback to the, the first one uh, to break from the chronology, is sure. the ending scene of the Herzog film where it takes place in this uh, scantily lit room with very jutting, jutting uh, shadows.
1: Yeah, the, the scene where Count Dracula has already died and Van Helsing finds right. uh, Lucy Harker as she's dying. As
2: she's dying. And you see in the bottom right corner, you see Count Orlock passed out dead from the sunlight. Right. And then automatically you have this beautifully composed image which is is ripped straight from expressionist films of the nineteen twenties. It's just a whole caligari and you sure, have yeah. even even um, I mean it resembles even films like The Gollum. Uh, the, these kinds of films are super influential to Murnau, uh, not Murnau, but Herzog's very. Mm-hmm. Um, but in most of his films, he doesn't often play with, uh, sets, right? He kind of uses, uh, um, aspects of nature and builds something, which is very kind of sticks to realistic principles. However, in this one scene, you see him breaking from that tradition.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then
2: kind of uh, really showing that the entire film itself is not exactly his own, uh, something of his own creation. It's uh, an homage to a great artist. Mm -hmm. Um, His own take and his own uh, expansion on certain ideas of a work that he uh, admires. I mean, I think he, I believe he even said uh, once that Murnau's... uh, Um, this film Nosferatu was the greatest German film ever made which is very very obvious when you see this Mm -hmm. the fact that he actually had the gall to remake this film
1: yeah and do it well
2: and do it well it's amazing yeah
1: how did they strike you once once the credits started to roll
2: I mean we spoke a little bit about it before one of the main aspects is one filmmaker was incredibly optimistic right and one was incredibly pessimistic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they both kind of ended in similar ways, except uh, in Murnau's, you don't get the final scene where uh, where he ends up being a vampire. Right. He ends up uh, succumbing to the the disease that uh, befell Nosferatu, this eternal loneliness. Yeah. Which he's now going to have to deal with because his betrothed has died. Right. Um. But I think that's very interesting, considering the fact that Murnau is also not known for making super optimistic films. I mean, Sunrise is one example of an optimistic film. Right. So I think there's this inclination that uh, that Herzog kind of taps into. He kind of realizes that in Nosratu, the optimistic ending was not exactly what Murnau would have done if he had made the film in the 60s or 70s. Right, right. He would have wanted it to be more... Uh, more of a, a realistic tone.
1: More of an epic, I think.
2: Right, something which is a, which has an arc, and it does have an arc, but it almost ends abruptly in the original. Yes. You kind of, um, you're like, okay, that's it. What happens now? And then it ends. It ends. But in Herzog's version, you have this full circle, this full uh, um, from the good good character played by Bruno Ganz. Um, who ends up just becoming exactly what he was fighting against? Yeah. This uh, this uh, villain, which, as he's trying to say, is just eternally doomed to suffering, which I think is a fantastic ending.
1: A big thanks to Oscar, and to all of you who have listened up to this point. We really appreciate it, and this is VistaReels.